Welcome, and thank you for joining us for an episode on Equity For Real, the podcast about equity applicants and for equity applicants in the cannabis industry. I am your host, LaWanda Knox from Make Green Go. We have special guests today who have joined us, Nathan Slavic from Quality Produce, who will be interviewing Joshua Chase. Joshua is an equity applicant from Oakland, California, and he's the owner of two dispensaries. Nathan will be interviewing Josh in this episode and giving you the game for real. Let's go. Do you know how you first heard about the equity program and uh, how you first decided to, to pursue it? So um, I'm obviously from Oakland, California. I was born in San Francisco. I, um, I didn't uh, get raised in San Francisco. I moved to Oakland before the age of one. I went to Oakland Public School District my whole entire life uh, from kindergarten all the way through 12th. After uh, I played baseball, I was a four-year varsity athlete. Um, one of the last champions actually to go from high Skyline High School for baseball I then went to Santa Clara University to play baseball and, and focus on academics. Um, I graduated from Santa Clara University in 2011 with a BS in economics um, from the arts and sciences there. It's a very special program they have there. And I, I speak very highly of, of that business program um, at Santa Clara. Um, after, during college, uh, we were the two, Prop 215 days, this kind of goes into your question. Um, it was the first time that I really understood anything um, towards legislation and ordinances of Oakland. It was the first time that I had to kind of buckle down and figure out what was going on. And during this time, it was Prop 215. And during uh, that time, it was the ordinance was um, about medical carts and being able to process a certain amount of a plant and have a certain amount of cannabis and go to dispensaries. So at that point in college, I kind of really started to um, dig deep into the cannabis industry. Um, my dad's also Jamaican. So I, my dad, I'd always had not me necessarily smoking cannabis, but cannabis has always been something in, um, in my family um, growing up might not have been openly spoken about, but there was always a aroma and a smell to the situation. My father always had a couple of plants growing in his backyard, also um, going under the philosophies of prop 215. Uh, during college, I got uh, once I was done playing baseball, uh, my junior season, my junior year, um, I decided to really focus on economics and really um, uplifting myself into a better situation. Um, being an athlete, you really start to focus a lot on just uh, working out and playing your sport. And a lot of times people don't realize with being an athlete, you still have to like feed yourself and have an apartment and all those kind of things. So um, in between the two, I started to focus on um, just my academics really heavily and also uh, cannabis. And from my findings, I was going to like different harbor sides and different dispensaries in the areas and going through the process of getting medical cards and growing um, uh, different types of plants and uh, becoming um, a mentoree of a lot of large growers in the Prop 215 days and just kind of going through that trials and tribulations uh, kind of around the Oaksterdam days. Um, from there, um, I realized that you were able to grow a certain amount of um, cannabis per patient. So I, at that time, I put together a small patient club, um, not necessarily a dispensary, but a, a small patient fac facilities, I guess, in which we would grow and we would also be caretakers uh, for people to get different cannabis. Uh, from there, after graduating from college, I came back to Oakland. Um, I went through a very similar process that a lot of kids do after coming back from college. They expect to you know, go to college, get a degree, and then expect immediately after college to get a, a good paying job in that, you know, 
area that they had studied for some quite some time. My, my I wasn't so lucky in 2011. We were kind of just coming back from a Freddie and Fannie um, recession, and it wasn't in my cards to just go and get a job. So I did just temporary placement and stuff like that. Um, but then I started to um, expand my grow operation by getting more um, patients and um, getting more involved in the culture. In early 2012, um, the states were legalizing. Uh, the first states to legalize were Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. They did it the late 2012. I believe it was uh, surrounded around the presidential election. Um, it was during that time. So I had a couple of friends that I went to college with. They were, um, at the time, I didn't really know because uh, the college I went to, most of the kids were very, very wealthy. So it was kind of uh, very nonchalant to have a lot of money. And a lot of them didn't speak about it just because it was so normal to them that it wasn't something that was uh, as crazy to me coming from someone that was raised in East Oakland his whole life. Um, going into college, um, I mean, that's it. Well, going out of college into the um, 2012, a couple of my friends that were actually uh, my uh, Santa Clara students, they reached out to me. They asked me to help them on a product they were working on in Washington, um, and it ended up being um, a pro. It was a recreational legalization the first round. So I ended up uh, moving up to Washington and going working with them. They're like fifth generation farmers. Their dad's a farmer, their grandfather's a farmer, all their uncles are farmers and just kept going down their line. So I kind of entrenched myself into, um, it was in Eastern Washington, uh, completely different from Oakland or San Francisco. And I, we had bought 20 acres and we had put some money together and we started a legal weed operation. Um, going through that legal weed operation, uh, really showed me the trials and tribulations of owning not just a company being that young uh, or being that any type of age or with the, when I say young, I mean experience wise, not the, the age you are because you could be 100 years old and be and be young in the, in the entrepreneurial world. Um, when I was up in Washington, uh, we really we applied for a license. We did everything that you needed to do from the uh, planning department, the building department, the uh, police, the fire the chief, very similar to Oakland. So in Washington, I got I, I had the opportunity to really learning the different processes of obtaining a license. Uh, in Washington, also, the administration that gave the licenses out were the Liquor Control Board. So it was a very similar process for liquor in the state of Washington, which I'm sure relates to California some way as well. Um, I haven't necessarily went on the alcohol side here, but um, coming uh, in 2017, which we are starting to see now in California, um, there's a problem sometimes with the basic economics of the way that uh, governing bodies issue licenses. And it's not like anyone's fault, but it just comes down to a kind of an economic gamble because you're pretty much saying by giving this amount of licenses or not giving this amount of licenses, our economy will still be in equilibrium. Um, in Washington, there was a really big disparity to one side because they had only given out like four or 500, I think, retail licenses across the state, but had given up over 2,000 production licenses um, with up to 30,000 square foot of growth for most of them. So the economy got out of equilibrium, which there was a lot of weed being grown with not a lot of weed being sold, um, being able to be sold because you had to, it's not like California there. Uh, you, you don't have like delivery services and uh, third parties. You either, you grow your weed and you, you can sell it to a store, that's great and you're successful. But if you can't, you literally fizzle out and you, and you die. Um, down the road, um, within my Washington side of cannabis, I slowly start to see, because we were, uh, we had got licensed to be an um, 
um, a 30,000 square foot cultivator. And we'd also been licensed for a, um, they call it in California now, it's called volatile, volatile manufacturing, but there it was uh, just extraction. You just got an extraction license. And the way that the um, issue of the licenses our license, we had applied for a license many, many months before anyone else had applied for a license. So we were actually granted a, a extraction license um, with, I, I call it a monopoly because there just wasn't any other licenses out. But for like five or six months, we had run in the whole entire state with being one of the only uh, extractor licenses. So our whole model was based off of extracting oil, growing weed, selling weed, selling pre-rolls, selling vape pen carts, and sustaining about 20 employees. Um, as things go down, um, as more product is introduced to these economies, the price starts to drop. So if you build your model on, you know, your profitability being above $7 and the and industry gets below $7, it can obviously be some kind of issue. So um, as states get recreational legal, it, it is it's very interesting because if um, the amount of stores for the amount of weed and the amount of consumers all matches up, it's a great place. But if any of that is out of equilibrium, it can be a hardship for some side of the company. So going back to kind of your question, um, after 2017, I had been fully knowledgeable about governing bodies, cities and states, federal government, how to pay taxes um, all the way through. So coming back to Oakland, um, I had actually before hearing about the equity program, I heard about that California just allowed delivery services. And at the time I'd had, um, it was, you'll, people will see it in California, it'll become very, very, very competitive. And getting into these retail locations was harder and harder. So when I realized that California had this process where you could do uh, someone that owned a manufacturing or cultivation facility could also have a delivery license and deliver to their customers directly in a uh, subscription-based model. I was all for it because it took away the hardship that I was having getting into these stores. And keep in mind at the time in Washington, I, I was in over 250 doors. So it wasn't like we were a small company, we were a top 40 company, and we were also going through these trials and tribulations. So coming back to Oakland, um, they legalized California in 2017. So I ended up coming back here because I knew that if I built something in Washington, um, not knowing really anyone, I could essentially, you know, um, do very well for myself in a place that I am not necessarily connected to, but have a, a, a deep root for being raised there and going to school there. Um, so after that, I had um, did my research on the internet and I figured out um, the licensing um the licensing uh, body, the special permitting office. And I realized that who was going to give the licenses out. I had a, a family friend slash friend that is, um, that was working in the planning department at the time, just on the building side of things. And he was very familiar with the, with the, um, the way the city worked. And I just went to him and I said, Hey man, um, do you know where this office is? And do you know how I can get a hold of them? So he ended up walking me over to that office and introducing me to a lady that um, her name is Nancy Marcus, which if you are in the equity program, you understand how beneficial or um, knowing Nancy versus not knowing Nancy on just a level of working with someone with the city. Um, so there's a lot of hardship for equity applicants because they just don't know where to start. And so when I say that, it's a very it's very beneficial being able to just meet someone like that that easily. It, it was an awesome experience. So to answer your question, I first learned about the equity program um, after doing all of that work and working with all of those governing bodies and then coming back to California and being introduced to the special permitting office through a friend that worked in the planning department. 
It sounds like, yeah, that's, that's a great background, especially because it is, you know, in my experience, at least kind of a unique background in that, you know, many equity applicants, when they're coming through this process, that's their first time working, even potentially in regulated cannabis. Um, but yes. you had had this kind of years and, and wealth of experience already kind of coming into it. How do you feel like that that benefited you um, as you started to move through the equity process? Well, obviously, it helped me in certain types of business ways that are pretty obvious, just understanding LLCs and paying taxes and sales tax and having an attorney and writing your contracts correctly. Obviously, that put me light hairs ahead. But really what put me light years ahead for and I, and I believe that it helped me a lot more with in, than necessarily knowledge. It helped me with my mentality. I think that um, so some people are going to agree and are going to disagree about my future s- statement. But I, I, I kind of I, I, I do agree with what I'm going to say. And I think that there's obviously it could come off harsh, but I think that it's a very realistic com- conversation that a lot of equity just do not have within themselves. So I think that the way it really helped me with the equity program was I knew how hard it was to run a business. I knew how much it took to run a business. I knew what it felt like to almost go bankrupt and have those struggles as a new business owner, right? So going into the equity program, going back to my story, after meeting Nancy Marcus, she didn't say, hey, this is the equity program. She gave me, just like everyone else does, she gives you an application. And at the time, it was just on paper, right? You know, I looked at the application because at the time it wasn't the dispensary licenses. It was just an application. It's a pure application. And in that application, it spoke about equity applicants. So after going through my due diligence and I'm like, and I was like, what is an equity applicant? I went into the office. I got additional answers, question, uh, questions answered, and I started to learn about the program. So kind of going back to the mindset, it helped me because I feel like a lot of equity applicants in across the across the nation, um, specifically, though, in the Bay Area, um, they expect the equity program to be a degree um, and they expect it to to give them certain things and give you them the whole shebang. But in my understanding, the equity program was more like a scholarship. It was something that you take and you get and you're able to to mix and mingle. So the biggest thing for me was um, coming back to California was renting a commercial real estate and renting a place that I could just work. So understanding that one of the biggest, hardest barriers of entry for entrepreneurs was getting this location. And once I realized that not only could I get three years free rent, a camera system, support accounting, business, and also law, I, I, I realized that the program is great because I'm in your use of paying and getting no help and you're paying a hundred percent of something. And then you go to it and you say, Oh, your costs are only going to be this. Plus you have the opportunity to get grants and loans and all these things. For me, it was all added benefit. I saw it as the the glass was half filled and I'm going to fill the rest of it. And I feel like sometimes the certain equity operators, just because of their inexperience to business, expect a whole glass of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, you know, especially many people who aren't coming from a business background. I mean, you had this uh, great advantage of you know, literally majoring in economics in, in college. So it seems like you were able to take more of that kind of long view as it were. Yeah, totally, totally. It was it was it. Was, I, I just had struggled a lot, right? So just like you were saying, a lot of the people that went into the equity program was the first time that they had done any regulatory body action, right? And that sometimes that even comes down to a lot of people that were growing weed. 
they weren't even necessarily paying their personal income tax. So they don't under, they didn't understand the whole process. So for me, it was like going into it. It's like a baseball player that if you never played baseball and you know nothing about baseball, you would expect to, you would expect to be good. You would need to get 10 out of 10 hits. You expect to go to that play and get a hit every time. But realistically, you get into the Hall of Fame if you hit the ball three out of the 10 times. So understanding that there's going to be those hardships was allowed me to have the appreciation for the equity program, allowed me to have the appreciation for LaWanda, allowed me to have the appreciation for Zach, allowed me to have the appreciation for everyone at the special permitting office. It showed me that they don't need to be helping me. This program doesn't need to be helping me, but it's here. And I'm going to use that as my benefit. And and how did you kind of specifically leverage LaWanda and Zach and, and Bakery and go, um, you know, to, to help fill the rest of your class? Well, you can ask LaWanda, like at, during their times when they had when they had summits or or uh, workshops or whatever it was, I was there. I was there, present, beginning of the line. I pretended like I not pretended I was humble. I didn't come out here saying I did this. I did this. I just learned the process because essentially I knew I knew the game, but I didn't know how to work the game in Oakland and the and the the. Make Green Go from literally the first day that I moved from Washington, I picked a day to come back was the first dispensary workshop they had. I literally went from an airplane with my bag and just flew directly to city. I mean, I flew to Oakland, got off the plane and Ubered to city hall. So even from me physically touching down the first day and going through this process, I had been working with Make Green Go. The only time before Make Green Go was just meeting Nancy in a special printing office, but it helped because they helped go through like I won two dispensary licenses with the help of make green gun. It wasn't like they were in coercion or helping me anything crazy. They allowed you to go to these workshops and ask any question you wanted to. And me understanding where these questions is and how valuable they are. I was going to everything. I got my first incubation at one of their workshops. You know, it's like all I did my first public speaking at one of their expos. It, it, it goes like, you know, on and on. So for me, I was just like, it started off, with make green go and i knew i needed a service i needed an accountant lawanda hooked me up with a guy now that i see as one of my honestly one of my best business relations and friends um pat finnegan she introduced me to him he's helped me through the last three years she introduced me to her husband obviously we know that his presence being an attorney he helped me for the last three years so it's not just that i went to all these things i also just everything that they were willing to give, I, I was, I was willing to receive. And I think that going through that and really understanding the education, because sometimes the equity side of things, I think that make green go is just putting them through these loops and through these, these, you do this and do this, like the grant program, like you got to do all this paperwork and you get this. It's not about that. You really can't miss out on the teachings that they're giving you and the experience and the resources. I would say like from 2017 to early to uh, until COVID, Make Green Go was a perfect source for any operator that didn't have a computer or a phone. You could literally just walk into the city hall or go to these workshops and they would explain everything to you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's helpful. It also makes me think about you know, this concept of kind of building your, your team, right? Um, that people may not be thinking of. So you mentioned an accountant, a lawyer, but how did you approach that? Or what, what do you see as kind of the essential, you know, quote unquote, team members to, to have around you? Well, like going through the beginning of the process, obviously you need 
you need someone that um, is like in the city, right? You need someone like a special permitting office. You should know who the permitting officers are. You should know who Greg Miner is. You should know who Nancy Marcus is. Um, you should, you know, have a good relationship with them and be polite and be nice and respect them in a way that they are a governing body. Um, but then you also need to have obviously uh, your CPAs, you need to have attorneys. And then you also like, I lump make green go into like a consulting type of role, but really you need that support of being able to m make connections and all of those kind of things. And, that, and that's just the start. And then from there, you kind of, you know, you, you spanned out through employees, but when you're going through the application process, those three entities are really important. Um, and everything for me was really or just organic or because we're at the point now with the equity program, you know, all of the pre-equity stuff was easy. It was all ordinances and government law, but now we're going through the actual implementation of this. And that's the hard part because you never know what could happen. Plus at the end of the day, it's like nine out of 10 businesses fail. How do you expect 10 out of 10 equity businesses to be successful? It's just a, it's an ongoing battle that she's going to always have to go through as things change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a great point to kind of bring it to the present day a little bit. So obviously a lot of people in that space will be looking at uh, getting funding or even partnerships. So what if you could speak a little bit towards, you know, your process for, for finding a partner with Have a Heart and uh, kind of lining up the dispensary? I think partnerships are only things that you need when you need them. So I, I think that partnerships and I come, I come I'm not going to say young or old entrepreneurs, but people, you need a partner because you need a partner. It could be for financial reasons. It could be operational reasons. It could be whatever. Um, and I think that as I've, I, as I've matured throughout the process, your, your goal is to, is to never have a partner at the end of the day. And I think that I've had partners in the past that I've been able to have synergy with to build different things. So I've, my early partners in Washington were they, their family owned the land. They were the farmers. They had all the farm equipment. It was, it made sense with have a heart. They also had experience and they had capital. So I think that finding a partner that not only has those things, but then going above and beyond and finding people that you could potentially find a synergy for, for the eternity of your business, or if it, even if the attorney of your business is that you sell it in five years. I think that finding someone with a good, good correlation um, right now is a good time for cannabis businesses if you do want to go to the corporate side um, and raise money. But it just kind of comes down to um, partnerships are, are, could be a great thing and they could be a negative thing. Um, the great side is that you're working together and the negative side, obviously, is that you're fighting each other. So I think that just finding that proper partnership that can give you what you want, but also gives you the working relationship and allows your mind to be free of um, despair really is where you want to land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a complicated issue for sure. And, and it's, you know, I think we've already established you had at least the wisdom going into this process to know that there's going to continue to be challenges. It's not like, you know, they work other equity folks or even, you know, understandably so you get so invested in, the launch day, right? Or the store is open and then it's almost like, oh, and now, now the kind of real work begins. That's a, a celebration for sure to be had, um, but that's really only the beginning. So interested in kind of as you've, you know, opened the dispensary and you've been open for a little while now, you've been looking at a new location. What are some of the kind of bigger challenges that you face that you maybe didn't even anticipate? Well, I think like the biggest challenge is just um, financing the space 
um, for a period of time having to go through public hearings and having to go through the planning and building department and going through all those things. So I think that usually your biggest challenge of opening something is always going to be financial. And, and that financial could also come in, in your time, right? Um, it's just going to take a lot of time, a lot of energy. You're going to be putting a lot into the business. You really like a lot of business owners say all the time, they say, just start getting revenue. Just start getting it. So like liquor store owners and restaurants and things like they'll start doing Postmates or they'll start doing things that they can start just generating income. But with the cannabis industry, it's very difficult to do that because you can't technically open until you have all of these checks and balances through the city completely accomplished. So I think the biggest hardship for myself right now is just making sure that um, going through the system and the structure of the city and the state, making sure that I have enough capital and enough um, time to make sure I get through that process efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I imagine kind of time management also becomes uh, more of an issue, right? You're still trying to run a store. You've got employees, you've got vendors. You're already determining where to really best focus your energies. Well, the first thing is you have to just be willing to work more than most people are willing to work. So like a normal work day for me could be 12 hours. Like I would say 12 hour work day is pretty short. Like me waking up at 8 a.m. and getting directly to work and getting going on emails and then finishing at 8, 8 p.m. is usually kind of a short day, honestly, you know, not taking a very long time for dinner or lunch. Um, so, you know, maybe even a 14 hour day. So I think the beginning of that question is just understand that you're going to have to work incredibly hard and and a lot of time and energy to get to where you want to be but then it's going to be delegating um, what is going to be the most efficient or what is going to be the best acting or what's the best for your lifestyle uh, kind of decisions because you you obviously want to gain but you also don't want to lose that work-life balance of you know working the seven days a week 20 hours a day Um, so it really comes down to scaling and understanding your opportunities and then weighing them against one another. And then it comes down to, obviously, as you grow, you always want to delegate. So I think it's also understanding that you're able to delegate and trust people um, going forward to make things happen. In the beginning, you micromanage at a little higher level and you start to let go as as the SLPs are in line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great. And uh, also make sure, you know, we start us off by saying, you know, focusing on, on motivating. So, curious kind of for you what are some standout moments that you can consider successes right what are the most you really felt good and that could be i'm interested in kind of both maybe business successes and maybe personal successes times where you felt like you had an impact on another person or you know you accomplished this kind of goal for yourself so what are some kind of those uh, standout moments for you well one i think is um when i was when i did act on the cannabis commission regulatory board um for over the year that i served i was uh, an active member of um, being an advocate of lowering the taxes and fighting for lowering taxes every single time that i showed up to a meeting which was every single time so i think one of my largest uh, accomplishments is is helping work with the uh the cannabis commission regulatory board and the, and the city council on actually lowering um, the Oakland tax to 5% and going into 2022. Um, on top of that is winning a dispensary license and opening it um, and becoming one of the largest cannabis dispensary outlets in, in Oakland, California, if not the largest. Um, and secondary is, is winning an opportunity to open a secondary store um, and then solidifying a potential location on Lakeshore. As a kid, I went there all the time 
um, with my family and ate dinner and rode my bike around the lake. So to be a kid from East Oakland and having an opportunity to uh, develop a retail storefront on one of the most prominent areas of Oakland um, is, is very fulfilling. Uh, and on top of that, there's a lot of small, you know, big business, I guess, small victories for myself is, you know, um, meeting my first billionaire or, or and, and those kind of things. So I think that as I grow, um, you're always going to have your good things. But I guess we didn't really speak too much about the bad either. Um, but there are a lot of bad. Like I, I am someone that works very hard and has experience and uses all of his resources. And I still have a really, really hard time um, just, you know, with the day to day. I'm not saying hard time as in struggle. I'm saying hard time as in it. it, it it's very time consuming is a lot of mental capacity. You're going to have to be willing to not go out on the weekends or lose the, lose the, the hunger for wanting to stay out all night and, and drink all day. Like it, it really comes with a whole mindset when you're, when you get focused on economics and just going through life financially, um, it really opens your minds to, to different types of things. And, you know, there's a lot of equity applicants or even applicants that I've that came across where they spent a lot of money and they spent a lot of life savings and, you know, they, they built a plan and they did all these things and they weren't able to sell a single product. So obviously there's all, all other sides of this. Not everyone is going to um, have the same victories as me. And there's people that have larger victories than me as well. And I think that there's just not everything is going to be given to you. The equity program is not a guaranteed license. Um, you know, um, money is not guaranteed by getting a license. Not You're not a millionaire. You're not a billionaire. If anything, you're signing yourself up for a lot of hard work. It, it only becomes more competitive as time goes on, as more states legalize, and then you're still competing with overall the black market. So the recreational spaces, you know, it, 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 it gives you something and it, it is workable and it is a, it is a great opportunity for myself and, and many others but it also is something that isn't, it's not a guaranteed win. That's why that's kind of why my analogy, I say a lot about the um, scholarship versus the degree. You have to go into it knowing it's a scholarship and that you still have to work for four hard years. Um, it, it, and it's not a guarantee. It's, it's, if you open a brand and you source weed, the hardest thing is to getting into retail locations, not a guarantee. Um, nothing in life is a guarantee forever. So I, I think that for every positive there's a negative and it's not directly related to the equity program. It's just related to just being a, an entrepreneur period to, to, regardless of cannabis or non-cannabis related businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, any kind of small business owner in, in almost any field um, is going to relate to a lot of what you're saying. And, uh, you know, in cannabis, those challenges are, are only multiplied. I'm also kind of curious for you, how much do you, think about the kind of social justice, racial justice, um, ending the injustices of the war on drugs kind of portion of, of cannabis and equity. Is that something that is kind of on your mind a lot as a business owner? Because obviously you're very focused on the economics. If you're not making a profit, you're shutting down and, and to some degree it's, it's moot. But um, how much is that kind of a part of your daily thought process? So to my business thought process, it doesn't really come across very often because I'm just, my head is so far down and I'm just really focused on what I have doing. I don't even really focus on other people's dispensaries or other opportunities. But when it comes to like me being a person from the community, you know what I mean? Like, um, like I'm, I'm from East Oakland. Um, like I still spend a lot of time there. I still have a family house that, that 
is there. Um, it is a, you know, I spend a lot of time and energy living in East Oakland. And I think that, um, I see a lot of those sides because I'm at an age where the war on drugs obviously was made by the Reagan administration, which was far before my time, but there's that same ideology for a lot of people that were grew up in my time. Um, and I, I see more of the war on drugs. I see how families were affected by crack, or I see how families were affected by someone going to prison for a small amount of weed. I actually see all those things. So on my day-to-day process is that's why I'm very, open with my thoughts because I want people that were disenfranchised by the war on drugs to gain from the equity program. I just want them to have a realistic understanding of the opportunity. So that way it doesn't push them further down the hole. Mm -hmm. It doesn't push them further and give them more disparity. So um, I think about honestly all the time. That's why I do community cleanup days. Like I'm I'm a little bit more, of a community activist than most of a lot of these other cannabis operators. And that's kind of my success, but I've always been like that. Like I was an athlete growing up. I spent a lot of time outside. I spent a lot of time going to events and shows and introducing myself all, all across. So it's like, I have friends from North Oakland to East Oakland. I have friends from rich to, to poor. I have friends that are, you know, uh, CEOs. I have friends that are in jail. Um, I have a very um, big understanding of, the people that the program is helping. And, and like I said, like the nine out of 10 thing is not every single person that was affected by the war on drugs is going to have an opportunity to be successful because only one out of 10 new normal businesses are usually successful. So, and I, but I also think that there's other ways and I coach them in other ways that are, you don't, the equity program is not just for cannabis operators. It is also for employees. Like my current location, my current store in downtown, um, we're at like a 50 or 60% Oakland, um, I think it was no 60 or 70% Oakland um, resident ratio. And I think 35 or 40 of them are actually considered equity employees. So the same way you get verified as being an equity operator or applicant, you can also become an equity employee. So it's not just, you know, helping these people create money for themselves via a business. It's also helping them create wealth for themselves if they want to be just an employee, because it's about the trickle down of our economy. If you, the, the whole point, I believe the equity program is not about the means to the money. It's not about weed. It's not about how we make the money. It's not about the ordinances. It's about getting money back in the hands of these people. And that's also a physical directly related item if you employ them as well. So it's like, my thing is just like, I see the war on drugs. I see the opportunities for business people, but those are opportunities are not always for everyone. And there's other opportunities that can go like you can work with the equity operators um, in order to get workforce development grants. And they can physically give that money directly to you as long as it is approved by the, the, um, the group that does the, the grant process. So I think that yes, I don't think of it a lot on the business side of things, but when I'm outside of work, I think about it all, quite often. Mm-hmm. Well, that was, uh, from my perspective, that was kind of a, a really inspiring note to end on. I want to make sure, was there anything else you know you wanted to, to touch on that we didn't get to or any kind of final words you would have for people? 
Um, I would just say um, at the end of the day, life is about due diligence. Do the research before joining any type of entity. So I just tell everyone out there, if there's any listeners that want the best piece of information before putting up any money or anything, do some testing, do some trialing, do some research. Um, talk to the city, talk to make green go, talk to Luanda, talk to other equity operators, talk to non-equity operators and really truly see if it's something that you want to spend the next five years working really hard on. Wow. Thanks Nathan for that awesome interview. And thank you, Josh, for dropping that knowledge and speaking your truth. If you're an equity applicant that was inspired by Josh's story, share your story with us by clicking the link on the details below and record your story for us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace.